Well, through the ages, hidden treasures have captivated many people. I don't know if that's the case with you, but here are a few from history and maybe even history class that you remember. Uh, Ponce. Ponce, that's, that's him right there. Ponce de Leon, the fountain of... Yeah, some of us are still trying to find it, right? I mean, this mythical spring, which allegedly restores our youth to anyone who drinks it. I mean, he was willing to give up almost every, well, probably everything, right? To try to find this this, uh, elusive uh, bottle of water. It just is amazing, right? And it, it didn't stop with him. It continues. How many have ordered off a of QVC or H, H, yeah, right. You know what I'm saying, right? I mean, this just our desire to have the hidden treasure, this elusive word or uh, something that nobody else can find that we can. Now, what about this guy, Francisco? Uh, he probably isn't in your family album. I would understand that. But, you know, Francisco de Coronado, right? Uh, you know, uh, the... El Dorado and the seven cities of gold. Um, Anybody want to get out their shovels? Uh, Strike out uh, in a boat? I mean, uh, just the whole allure around it. Movies have been written. I mean, we could go on and on and on. But it all kind of, uh, we're we're into it in so many different ways. I mean, I think y'all are too. Uh, Maybe this isn't yours, but this is kind of a, a... a new day kind of treasure hunting. Uh, you don't find much treasure. You just leave your name or whatever. But geocaching, right? I mean, you know, this idea of something that's hidden in a, in a field or a forest uh, that you go find. I think I was reading uh, a few months ago about this, uh, uh, this multimillionaire, if not a billionaire, hid, literally hid a treasure that, uh, you know, people were... Uh, doing some extreme things to attempt to find this hidden treasure. This hidden treasure. But the question that this all kind of conjures up to us, these kingdom of heaven is like, right? What is it that, what is it that we would really be willing to sell all, to give all? Well, let's, let's take a look at a few of these. Let's take a few look at few of these and I think Jesus leverages this hunger for treasure that he knows is in us uh, for good he says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field when a man found it he hid it again and then his joy in his joy he went and sold all he had and bought that field so a guy's just walking along or a gal's just walking along and discovers something of Great worth that gives great joy to be able to sell everything that they had. I mean, uh, you know, he, the, the individual sells everything to buy the field in which the treasure is contained. Uh, kind of a, probably a, uh, driving at a little bit of the legalities behind it. He could have taken the treasure, right? But then if somebody said, where did you find the treasure? He'd say, he found it in Bill's field, not my field. Right, so he bought he bought the field to be able to find the treasure. I think it begs the question: 
Jesus is trying to whet those people's appetite that he's teaching and his disciples in this idea about the kingdom of heaven, but also to us. What is it that we're willing to sell everything to find the hidden treasure, to, find that, to, to buy that field? It reminds me of the conversation of the rich young ruler had with Jesus. Maybe you remember it, and we go over it quite a little bit here. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit uh, eternal life? And Jesus says to him a little bit later in this conversation, after moving through that this, uh, this rich young ruler had obeyed all the ten, which is a pretty mighty feat in and of itself. He says, you still lack one thing. Sell everything. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And Jesus' words uh, in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And I mean, it's a, it's a literally, you must follow me. You must give up, sell everything to, to seek God. The kingdom of heaven, whatever the membership costs you personally, is worth it. That's what Jesus is saying. It's worth it. Sell everything, buy the field, get the treasure. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, Leon Moore, uh, Morris Leon says this, he's a theologian. In case of that you can, are concerned about some of the legalities behind it, uh, the, Jesus really kind of is not about the legalities of taking that treasure and the field. And we'll see that in a second. He wants you to understand the one main point which then reminds us, uh, maybe we need to walk down this, of what a parable is written to. Uh, a parable is specifically written not to the, all the facets in the parable, the story itself, but it's written to a specific point. Uh, parables are short stories or metaphors which challenge our reality by pointing to another reality to live differently in the present one we are living in. To live differently, or from C.H. Dodd instead of me. A parable is a metaphor, a simile drawn from nature or common life that, are, that, uh, that arrests the hearer by its vividness or, or, or strangeness and leaving the mind sufficient doubt about its precise application to tease it into active thought. So parables are common. Uh, to, they take advantage of the common life and they are also uh, kind of strange, right? Who would sell everything? That's the point. Who would sell everything and come back, right? And our mind continues to tease this out. But my, my goal and Jesus' goal and the Spirit's goal is that you'll still leave, leave here, even if you're a follower of Jesus, and say, have I sold everything? Have I followed Jesus with everything that I have? I think that's Jesus' point. To the kingdom. See, this man, in the first parable, it says, in his joy, he did it. Not out of reluctance, but out of complete joy. He sells everything to gain the one thing, the hidden treasure. The second parable, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant, a merchant uh, looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. He bought it. Uh, th this, as with the other 
they're just traveling along. They're actually looking for not just one pearl. They're looking for multiple pearls. Uh, they're a merchant. They're, they're exchanging. They're, they're looking for something to uh, create even greater wealth, I would say. I would argue if that's a, truly what a merchant is. But this merchant comes across one. One. <laughs> one. And it's of great value. And so as with the other parable that Jesus says, sold everything to buy the one pearl. The one Really? Can't have two? Or three? No, the one pearl. In this one pearl, Jesus is telling us what it is. The kingdom of heaven. He's not saying, he's not even mixing it up a little bit. He's exactly telling us what we get. But the crazy of this, as with the other, but this is even more the case. The person wasn't looking for the one pearl. They weren't looking for the one treasure. This was almost, as one commentator said, was a surprise to the individual. It's like, whoa, wait a second. Stop the world. I want to buy the pearl. It's worth it. Jesus, again, is confronting us as readers or hearers with the value of the kingdom of heaven There's no cost too great to gain the kingdom. None. To possess the pearl that was everything. And again, we're asked the question, and we're left with the wondering, as we're followers in here, potentially, uh, we're, we're, we're wrestling with this. Have I? Have I or what am I claiming that I can't let go of? That I won't let go of? Jesus is telling us that this man, this merchant, sold everything. The sacrifice of this man is not too much. I mean, the interesting thing between these two parables is that the man who sold everything and bought the field has something of, uh, and the treasure within it, obviously, has something that he can then continue to make wealth off from, continue to, to have a value that potentially could farm or whatever else they could do with it. But the second parable moves us ever so closer to the fact that there's nothing, there's nothing uh, that you could I mean, everything is worth selling to gain the one, excuse me, on that. I mean, they could, the first one could make profit. The second one, all the profit's gone. The only thing he gains is the pearl, the kingdom of heaven. Verse 47, continuing, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like the net that was let down into the lake and caught, up, caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets and, the, and threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This, if we remember back in our Matthew series, again, we're kind of, we, we kind of ebb and flow in the Matthew series. This should draw to our minds the weed and the weeds. Wheat and the weeds, excuse me, 
uh, parable that, is, that Jesus told. That as you plant seeds in the ground, wheat in the ground, you will also get weeds. And, and his disciples said, well, shall we pull the weeds? He's like, no, if you pull the weeds, you will pull the wheat up with it. And the harvest of those wheat will be lost. But in the end, we'll do the separation. And then here again, we're confronted with this kingdom of heaven, right? That there, that there is this, uh, this net, this big net that will be let down, this invitation by Jesus, if you will, this teaching to accept. And there will be those who will come to say they accept Jesus and will be, some will be found righteous and others will be not. It, it catches all types of people and when it's full they start to soar and in the basket will only be those who will be righteously good the other the other fish they may be carp good enough for your garden but not good enough for your refrigerator right Jesus is clear the angels in time will come and do the sorting of the good and bad Jesus wants to remind us, and he moves the disciples and the hearers there and us ever so closely to what actually Scott was praying, that there will be a point in time where there will be judgment made by Jesus himself, the good judge, the righteous and right judge to sort them out. And it'll separate those who well, those who surrender and submit and those who continue in their prideful posturing and positions. Those who say yes to Jesus and accept the fullness of what that kingdom means. Uh, the, one who, the one who buys the one pearl sells everything. Buys the field to get the treasure it's amazing throughout Matthew's gospel, as we've been reading through it, you'll find that Jesus uses the terms little ones and the poor to refer to those who have found themselves in a posture of submission and surrender, understanding that the kingdom is worth it, that their hunger for it is, is fed by him. Morris again says those who are finally righteous are those who realize their own shortcomings and rely on God's mercy. Uh, that's, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a net. He brings them up. But yet, those who acknowledge who they are and need him. It's interesting, Jesus gets to the end of this and he turns to his disciples as he does in many other places and said, have you understood all these things? Um, and we could have a nice conversation. Did they understand all of these things? They said yes, but we could easily say that, well, not quite everything, right? We read to the end of even Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, and we realize that they're still in the process of trying to comprehend what has transpired before them, what the teaching really means. I would say that we're probably in the same boat, even as we have this nice hindsight, this, this really overview that we're continually growing in our understanding of what it means to, to sell everything to get the one, to understand what it means that to be righteous for Jesus and to be selected 
by him. He goes on. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out, a store, out, brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. I, I love this. Uh, because Jesus continues, as we have said through this Matthew series, you can go back through the, the, I don't know how long we've been in it, maybe a couple of years now, you know, when we dip back into it. But you'll, you'll see where Jesus continues to, to go back and reaffirm what he's already said, to, to, to remind them of what is true of this. He, he's saying to them here, since you do understand, and he does not argue with them at this point, of which he probably could. Most commentary say, commentary, commentators will say, or scholars say, that easily he could have, but he just, he moves on. He says, since you understand these things, then those who do understand are like those who live in a house and pull out of their storeroom a treasure of not just new, His teaching, that's what he's talking about, but the old with it too. That the old is not to be flippantly discarded, but to actually be treasured also as a, I believe, a foundation to what the new has been, new that has been brought. I mean, Jesus is talking about uh, what he referenced in the Sermon on the Mount, that he stated that he was not here to come to abolish the law, but that he came to fulfill the law and to to follow it, but yet build upon it in a new and transforming way. The in simplistic terminology, we just talked about this a few weeks ago, that he moves from the external behaviors that the law often would follow and find within you right, of the Old Testament and atonement practices of the Old Testament, but into the new that moves to the heart, right? It's not so much that you actually murder somebody, it's just the fact that you actually, you actually are so angry that you could murder somebody. That's the issue. He moves these, these bars ever higher, ever more, uh, to a newer framework of thinking. It's difficult to do. The old gives birth to the new. Yet, how many of you have tried something new recently? Uh, I mean, the new, if you really want to be honest, assaults the old way of doing things. It really just kind of can can assault it. Not that it abandons it, but it can assault it, right? A meal plan. Everybody knows how to eat, right? I mean, eating's not the issue. It's when somebody tells you you can no longer have salt in your diet. Yeah, I can hear the murmuring already, right? You can't believe that. Somebody told me I can't have salt. Or no more caffeine. That would really mess up my day, (laughs) right? It's not that we don't know how to eat. I mean, considering a foundation. We know how to eat. It's that there are corrections to that way of eating that bring about a better way of living, a healthier way of existing. Practices. How about practices? I, uh, I admitted to you a, a, a few years ago that um, what my understanding of Sabbath was was pretty limited and in fact, I violated the Sabbath on a regular basis, even as a pastor. 
can I just tell you that it's good and right to, I believe, to participate in the Sabbath, to put yourself in a place where you, you stop what you normally would do, your normal work, and you delight in what God has given you, you orient yourself to worship. I think it's a practice that I would advocate uh, continue t- today, but it is extremely difficult even after about four or five years of trying to concentrate and concerted effort to try to put myself in that place, to worship him in a way that would, I believe, would honor him according to what he has laid out before us. For some of you, that may not be striking where you strike, but even coming on a Sunday morning on a regular basis or finding yourself in gathering spaces on a regular basis is is an alteration to your world. It's not that they're wrong or bad, but they're new, building on something that pre-existed that does maybe change some of those things. I mean, have you ever tried to go screenless for a day? <laughs> I know. It's like, really? You're... I mean, seriously, how many compulsions within us? Yet, for many of us who are older, we can remember those days, our moms and dads told us to go outside, and when it was dark, come in. Right? But now that we're older and we're conditioned, I'm picking on us older people, now that we're older and conditioned, we couldn't think of going without our phone. I'm speaking to myself, I guess. So, it's, you see, it's easy for us, can I use some terminology, to stay in the old ways and the old patterns. And I think what Jesus is saying to, about this house is that if you accept the kingdom, that there are new things and new patterns that come with the old format. And especially for those hearing them, they're like, this is, this is mind-blowing. But maybe for some of us, that may not be so much the case. It's not so much the new. I, I, there are a couple of churches that I think are in our, in our community that they say they're New Testament churches. And, and that's okay. I mean, that's fine. I'm not sure what they mean by that, but if they're only living in the New Testament, they're abandoning the Old Testament, which I don't believe is what they're saying. But I wonder... Though for us though to follow Jesus, if we if we we ourselves are t- attempting to try to only live in the New Testament, really the New Covenant, read the New Testament as our only source. How many of you? Uh, now I want to. I, I will say, if you're reading to the uh, the reading uh, summer reading plan and you've read through Romans this week, you might come away and you're not as familiar with the Old Testament. You might come away going, what? Paul's references in, in Romans are deeply embedded in, the, in a Jewish thought, in a Jewish way, and are part of the, uh, the Jewish framework about religion, the law. We have a limited view 
of it, but we don't have a deeper view. So maybe in this section, when we think about taking out the treasure out of our, in our house, out of the storeroom and pulling it out, we have the new, but, and we need, to, we need to really live into the new. But maybe it's understanding the old so we really understand the new too. Jesus finishes this teaching here. He says this, when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. So he, he did the kingdom of heaven parables. He sets up that the kingdom of heaven is something that you need, to, you need to sell everything for. And then he moves on. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue. And they were amazed. They were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they ask? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Uh, isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brother's name James, Joseph, Simon, Judas? And aren't all his sisters with us? I mean, don't they live amongst us? And when, where did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, in his own home. And he, and he did not do many miracles because there was a lack of faith. Jesus gives to us these parables in the section that I've put them together. The, Matthew puts them together, these three parables of the value of the kingdom of heaven. That selling everything you have and uh, giving and, and to, to ascertain the pearl of great price, right? The uh, the value of the hidden treasure in the field. But then Jesus moves into his own hometown where he, I would guess, begins to kind of maybe not preach in parables, but he begins to preach about the kingdom of heaven. This very thing in which he's attempting to press into his disciples and to anyone who wants to hear, this is the way you should go. This is the way you should live. This is the kingdom. And he goes on to his own hometown. All of them were amazed. They are wondering where he gets his wisdom. And we know this man, but we know this man. He's a common one from around us. I mean, we know his brothers and we know his sister. We, I think we even knew his dad and his mom. Nah, this, this wisdom... We outright reject it because of who we know him to be in previous days. I mean, it's incredible. But we're reminded again, for those who want to be a part of the kingdom of Jesus' manifesto in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when... People insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because, you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The kingdom of heaven, I kind of, I kind of see this as, well, not only is it an outright rejection, and Jesus' move towards Jerusalem. We know that that's the movement that's taking place. But I wonder if the if the if the flow that Matthew puts in here, guided by the Holy Spirit, is to remind us of what is inevitable for all of us who follow 
in the way of Jesus. That once we sell everything we have and follow Jesus, that there will be those who will be less than peaceable to our conversation about Jesus and our way of living, our lives, and the way it comes. That of, it's inevitable that we will be potentially outright dismissed even if we say true and right things. I believe that Jesus was. I mean, they acknowledged that they were amazed by his teaching, surprised by his miracles. Isaiah 28, 16 says this. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. Uh, the quote that Tommy had up there for you, that, that those, most, uh, those familiar with us may be the most skeptical about the message of Jesus is true. I, I kind of wondered that when I, I was back home just yesterday, and I kind of wandered around, and every once in a while I wonder, am I seeing somebody I should remember? You know, it's one of those questions because you age and things change and that type of thing. But I also wonder from time to time, hmm, yeah, I've been doing this a long time, but what if one of my college or my high school buddies ran into me before Jesus, college, you know, high school buddies? How would he view me? How would they see me? What stories would emanate about me? I think I know. Right? But Jesus is the cornerstone. It goes on in Psalm 122, after the Isaiah passage, says the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The, the Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes, according to the psalmist. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. This is the cornerstone. In Mark, Jesus is telling a story. We're not going to go there, but I'm going to relay it to you. He's telling a story to the Pharisees and the disciples of a man who planted a vineyard, created a wine press and set up a watchtower, and then rented it back to some farmers in the area. And when it's time to be paid for, uh, paid rent, the man sent a servant to collect the rent, and they decided not to pay. They actually sent him home empty-handed, uh, according to Jesus' words. They beat him, and then uh, they, they sent another, and they beat him, excuse me, and killed that other person. And, and this, this, the owner of the, of the vineyard said, you know, I wonder if I, if I send my son. Um, yeah, I wonder, I, I think they might respect him. But they didn't. And they treated the son just as they treated the other servants. They killed him too. As you know, or may know, the story is of God who loved and gave and then sent his son as a final act of love and restoration to collect what is rightfully his. Uh, those that are rightfully his. In this parable in Mark 12, Jesus makes it clear that those who have, <laughs> to those who have ears that he will exact judgment on, <laughs> he will exact judgment. Yet Jesus took the words straight from Psalm 122, 22 through 23, and uses them within the parable, right there in Mark chapter 12. He says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. 
the, the Lord has done this and is marvelous in our eyes. In this, in this story, in this parable, Jesus is making it clear to them in Mark 12 that rejection, I believe, is inevitable for him as Jesus. And it is inevitable for any of us who decide to follow him. So the title of today's message, Rejection is Inevitable for those who follow Jesus. Now, for those of you who are thinking, well, uh, you know, <laughs> I have a friend who says you don't have to be odd for Jesus. I agree. You don't have to be odd for Jesus. You, you don't have to, you have to welcome uh, rejection. But the, the very truth of what I see is happening in these parables, that if as we live into the kingdom and we bring Jesus to the forefront of our lives and live for him, that that rejection will be there, that we will be pushed away for our message of Jesus. So if this is the case, then what are we supposed to do? What is it that we're to do? We realize that because Jesus rejected in that place, he was unable to do many miracles, or some say no miracles. But what about us? What are our next steps? What do we take from this? Well, I, I want to ask some simple questions as we move towards Holy Communion. So, fellow follower, is the pearl or the treasure your great joy today? Is it still the case that you would sell all to gain the kingdom of heaven? Or, or maybe even this, have you sold all? Seeing that Jesus calls us to daily take up our cross and follow him. See, we live with a, a king and a kingdom. He's a good king in a great kingdom, but we live to a king. And a king always calls us to surrender and submission. Always calls us to, uh, to, to bend our knee. Probably more figuratively than literally, but I think both in multiple places. So the question stands before us, I think, from these parables on a really one level. As a follower, if you claim to be a follower this morning. Have you given all? Have you surrendered everything? And especially as we come to take Holy Communion. Uh, secondly, following Jesus brings inevit inevitable rejection. It, it, it will happen. Ask our brothers and sisters around the world. They're just simply following Jesus. And oftentimes, minding truly, minding their own business, are... <laughs> by themselves. But as I read the voice of the martyrs that comes to our house, I am reminded story after story after story, even if they're just going to tend their field. There's one story that I read this last month. They were just going to tend their field. And those who want to rid the land of anybody who follows Jesus came and, in this case, uh, killed father and uncle and in a, in a very tragic way. Inevitably, when we seek the kingdom and his righteousness, there will be some will, re, will reject the message of Jesus. Are we 
Are we okay with following Jesus to, to that point of rejection? Our call, friends, is always to live and love as Jesus did, willingly and freely to anybody who comes with our whole heart, with our heart, mind, and soul. It's the only way, when we live in love, not in fear, when we live in love, that we're able to see the liberation that Jesus did in the lives around him, that the, the, we read in the Acts of the Apostles that we understand have happened through the centuries to this point, that when we live in love, allowing our lives to be lit up by the Holy Spirit and by the, by the Lord, that we're able to see the change in other people's lives. Yet, if we're fearful of being rejected, we might be shortchanging the great pearl that we say we claim, the great treasure that we say we have sold everything to buy. Friend, if you're here this morning and you have yet to say yes to Jesus, you didn't realize he was the, the great pearl of great wealth and worth, You want the key to all the treasures that he can provide. Let me encourage you uh, to make that declaration today. You can pray this prayer with me now. Father, we're thankful. I'm thankful that you just, in 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 a simple way, you continue to remind us of the value of the kingdom of heaven and of Jesus and following the king who is the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords the one who brings life and liberty to all who would believe. Thank you for that. Lord, as followers this morning, we are challenged before you to ask the question of ourselves and allow your Holy Spirit to do the roaming. Have we sold all for you? Have we taken up our cross and followed you today with every part of our being? Lord, allow your spirit to do the roaming in, our, in my family's life today, in my heart today too. Father, for those yet to say yes to Jesus, Lord, you have an open invitation to the one who lives and gives love, the one who brings about change and transformation, that the one who is of great value for this life and in eternity. Friend, if you're, if you're here this morning and you have yet to say yes to Jesus, pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for mercy, grace, and love found in and through Jesus. Save me and forgive me from my sins. I give you my life and choose to follow, love, and live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.